Welcome to Five Questions with the Sports and Entertainment Law Attorney. My name is Leonardo Viola. Today, we have our first guest of the new semester for our Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment Blog podcast, Michael Archeri, a Brooklyn Law alumni from the class of 2004 who has extensive experience as the Director of Basketball Operations and in-house counsel for both the Orlando Magic and later as Director of Basketball Strategy and in-house counsel for the New York Knicks. Mr. Archeri, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. It's my pleasure. And thank you for the invitation to join the podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. So uh, let's get right to it. So being out in the legal professional world for some time now, taking on all the challenges that, you know, as a law school student, you figured you'd have to face someday. What's one thing you wish you had known when you first began your career? One thing that I had some idea would be the case when I finished and when you'll finish law school, as well as the amount of advocating, advocacy, and making arguments and speaking persuasively, if you will, that certainly we all understand once we get out of school, we'll have to do. But I was really struck by literally the moment I'd graduated, the number of opportunities or situations that arose that I had people coming to me um, for legal help. And I ended up, and I'm sure this happens to, it'll happen to you, it happens to many students, but having to begin to help, whether it was someone who had been wrongfully terminated or was contesting an eviction notice on a commercial lease, but there were so many different opportunities and situations where I was called on to to make arguments and to, to speak persuasively or try to and help people. And I knew it was going to come, but it, boy, it came right away. And so I wish I would have, or somebody might have told me, hey, be ready, this is going to happen, because we think we know it's going to happen. And I think I would probably spend even more time trying to take courses or engage in activities to help me get even better at making an argument or advocating for clients or people, um, because it's obviously a super important thing that we as attorneys and uh, professionals do. So that would be the one thing I wish I would have even been more in tune with uh, during my uh, law school career and uh, getting ready when I was uh, graduating. Of course, of course. So Mr. Archeri, what is the one common myth about your profession or field that you would want to debunk? <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know if it's necessarily a a myth, but as it regards professional basketball, and in my case, working with NBA teams, this just came up so often, I found myself explaining this is a lot of people think that when the the regular season or when your season ends, if you're in the playoffs, that for people working for teams, things kind of slow down and you can take a breath. And I would get all sorts of phone calls in the middle of April and early May, like, hey, and now, I imagine now's a good time to call you or, hey, you're probably taking a breath or a week of vacation or whatever it was. And it just so happens if you if you follow the game, and it's not only in professional basketball, but it's in all sports, even at the college level as well, you, you live and work in a duality, if you will, of this is the team you have right now for this season. But of course, you're always preparing for the upcoming free agency or draft and the next season and your three-year plan, your five-year plan. So in fact, at least in the NBA, the way the schedule works is, and then for me, after the trade deadline, which happens around the middle of February, a little bit earlier, 
then once the regular season ends and that version of your team is now done, if you will, you're already launching into all of your preparation for the college draft, for how you're going to approach free agency. Are we going to try to do trade? Now it's time to re to build the team, to improve it, to add to it. So I always got a kick out of people who kind of didn't get that piece and, hey, let's hang out. Let's go and do this thing. Actually, no, it's, it's gotten even busier if possible. So that's, uh, I guess I'll call it a myth for the purposes of our conversation, but that was one thing I found myself oftentimes having to explain. So that's one that comes to mind uh, right away. That's very interesting. So, um, you know, going back to uh, your roots as a BLS student, could you talk to us a bit about your experience as a student while at BLS, uh, perhaps by listening to our listeners, uh, some of your work experiences while in law school, uh, which you found most valuable, uh, whether it may be an internship clinic or on-campus interview, and, you know, just how important uh, those experiences were in paving the way for you to discover what you were really passionate about uh, in the end and eventually, you know, what field of law you pursued. Sure. You know, Leonardo, in my particular case, um, I, had, I had very much a set plan and I was going to law school for the purpose of then pursuing work, in, in my case, in the NBA. So I really knew exactly what I wanted to do so it wasn't that there was an experience that was kind of like, oh, the light bulb went off or on, and now this is the thing that I know I'm passionate about. So just as a preface to the answer, but, and then also I was a night student. So I was working through my four years and I was running a not-for-profit on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, um, which was extremely uh, valuable as an experience for me in, in many ways, which I don't even, really need to get into you know, in this conversation, but so I was working full time. Um, but I will also say that I, so what my approach was, I wanna see if I can just have as many different, varying, interesting educational opportunities and exposures to law while I'm here at this great Brooklyn Law School. So for example, I did do a, an externship at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, in the second semester of my sophomore year. And it, again, it wasn't that I wanted to be working necessarily for the CFTC or working in the investment world, but I wanted to get a look at the law that was related to compliance of futures trading and um, those types of things. I, um, in addition to the externship, I also made a point to do a broad study every summer. Uh, one, it helped me to lower my credit load a little bit you know, each semester, but more importantly, it also gave me another great exposure. So my first summer, I went to uh, China and I, I took courses at the University of uh, International Business and Economics in Beijing. So I got to study some interesting things, World Trade Organization. Um, then my second year, I went to uh, Bologna, Italy and studied European Union law, which I found you know interesting and it was uh, personal for me as well. My father had attended the University of Bologna many years ago. He studied medicine there. Uh, and then my third year, I ended up in uh, Guadalajara in Mexico in the summertime, studying NAFTA and studying um, the jurisprudence in, in Mexico. And so again, these, I, I knew I wasn't gonna be trying to get a job working for the WTO or within NAFTA but again, just trying to expose myself to as much different 
uh, international law and just law in general, meeting great professors uh, in different countries and, and expanding a legal network, if you will, even if I had an idea that when I graduate, I really wanna go do this one thing. Um, and I'll, I'll add one other piece because I think it could be valuable for your classmates and listeners. I, before I did the externship at the CFTC, I had gone on my own to, uh, to go speak and try to create an internship with the National Basketball Players Association. BLS did not have that yet, but I thought, well, if I can go and maybe put this together, the school might be open to that. And so I ended up going to meet with who now is a dear friend of mine. His name is Ron Klempner, and he's got a wonderful position at the Players Association. At the time, we were not able to put an internship together, so that was um, unfortunate. But through that just conversation and mini interview that I had with him was the building up, was the start of a friendship. And I've known him now for, you know, that was 2002. So I've known him now 19 years and he, um, he's a good friend. And then in my years working in the NBA, I had lots of occasions to be in contact with the Players Association. So even though the externship didn't work, just, I don't want to say thinking outside of the box, but looking outside of the offerings that the school at the time uh, gave us. Um, so the moral of the story is don't, to the extent you're able to, don't be afraid to identify the things that you really want to do and see if there may be something that even though it's not existing currently, um, maybe the school will be open to it if you can find an opportunity like that. So um, I just wanted to mention that. And then also back on the basketball, I, I've worked the uh, New York Mick basketball camps for many summers and I continue to do that during the summertime as well during my time at Brooklyn, maintaining my contact sort of in that world and that network as well. And so uh, that is, I, I think, a, a decent description of how I spent my time in addition to reading cases and trying to uh, learn the law uh, down there on Jerome Street. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, given your indisputable success, maybe this is a little bit of a long shot, but if you would have done something, if anything, differently, what would it be? Oh, man, I think I would have done um, a good number of things differently. And, um, but I'll, I'll keep that my answer to the, you know, the scope of our conversation as it relates to law school. Um, and, and it very much kind of mirrors what you're doing right now, for example, and what your group is doing in terms of having started a sports and entertainment uh, group. And, and now you've got the blogs and you're doing the podcasts as well. As a night nice student, I was, when I was working in the day, jumping on the two train, go down to Brooklyn, go to class and go right home. So I had less touch and connection and with the community at, at school there, which, um, you know, which was unfortunate. And I wish I would have taken, and I didn't have a ton of time because of that situation, but certainly I could have made more time to maybe embrace the community a bit more or to, to do some of the things that you're doing, like to start up a group like, like you have. Um, because I think it's a great opportunity, especially for people who want to get into certain, any, any sort of business um, to, you've started this group now, and now you're having a conversation with me, and there may be people who want to work in the NBA or in sports. And so I wish I would have had enough foresight um, or originality to think, you know what, let me start a group and let me see if I can um, make some connections and invite people to come and speak at the school or be on a panel or 
do a negotiation competition or whatever it was to um, to more organically construct a road, not only for where I'm trying to go to, but to offer that to your classmates and to the BLS community. I think that would have been something that has somebody said, hey, Michael, you should do this. I think I would say, hey, you're absolutely right. And let me try to make the time. So um, I, I'd have done many things differently, but at BLS, I think I certainly would have um, gone down that road if I'd have been smart enough to think about it. Great. And um, one last question, uh, if you will, we know you're very busy. So um, you told me before this interview, you were uh, no longer with the Knicks and are now consulting NBA teams, but also international teams. So could you talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, how your knowledge of the law, the profession and in practice may be challenged or tested uh, or even maybe expanding now that you're also consulting international teams? Sure. Um, I Luckily, I had a little bit of a head start with respect to international teams, because while I was with uh, Orlando and New York, some of my job description also touched on international scouting and even some of the legal uh, aspects of uh, helping to obtain visas uh, for players who were not U.S. citizens to be able to come play in the NBA. Um, and again, having done some scouting as well. So at least I had a little bit of familiarity, but certainly now um, working with the teams here, um, there are, so first of all, right, you're in Europe, for example, where you have the civil code, right, and not a common law practice like we have at home. So certainly wanting to make sure that you're very familiar with the, you know, what makes up a contract and are they the same elements and, so certainly there are legal aspects um, here in Europe. You have um, rules regarding how many foreigners can play on a team versus how many uh, EU passport holders or citizens of that country, right? So there are all sorts of rules like that that you want to make sure that you are on top of, obviously, if you're going to be consulting and to teams and recommending to them whether what kind of contract you want to sign a player to or what kind of player you want to think about signing. As part of what I'm doing also is got is, is, is very is a basketball centric piece which is recommending players as well so aside from that legal aspect then you have the the profession itself and there's a onus on me obviously to understand the different leagues and um, the different levels of competition um, even with respect to the style of play right? European basketball, international basketball can also oftentimes is different than the way the game is played in the NBA. Um, th there are different ways that teams and even the media uh, deal with players and especially foreign players who come over. There's a heightened level of expectation. So being very familiar with that um, uh, business practices, there are some teams and leagues where Agents and their players know, hey, the paycheck is going to arrive on time every 14 days or every month, whatever it is. And other places where maybe you might need to check into that or be a little bit concerned about that. So, um, yeah, so there are lots of different elements to it, but certainly it's a good question. And it forces me to make sure to um, contemplate all these different differences that are going to exist and then to go out and get these answers and then um, be doing my homework as to the teams that I'm talking to. What are they looking for? And is it a player that they might want to have for a long term, an older player versus a younger player? So it's certainly it's a challenge. Uh, it's a it's a fun challenge. 
and that uh, it's keeping me on my toes and, and busy surfing. So. Absolutely. And as an ex-professional basketball player in Italy, I can attest to uh, having to wait for the paycheck more, you know, the paycheck not being a guarantee as it usually would be perhaps in the U.S. Um, well, last but certainly not least, Mr. Archer, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to in the Brooklyn Law community? <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. Um, there are probably too many names to start listing off, but I had uh, just two very uh, still very good friends of mine. Uh, Donnie Gammon and Erin uh, O'Connor, they both lived up on the Upper West Side where I did. And so we took the two or three train uh, down to BLS or home uh, late at night um, for, for four years and went through the trials and tribulations, came out at the end okay, but they're, they're dear friends. And so, yeah, a shout out to them, City of Brooklyn. Uh, appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Wonderful. Mr. Archer, we understand you're very busy. So thank you so much again for your time. Um, and that is all for today. Thank you for listening and tuning in. And we'll have a good aloha.